Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer. So learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, Dr. Tim Philston will share a message titled, Called Where You Are. The scripture passage for today is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, which will help us answer the question, how does the mission of God fit into your day? If you've been touched by the grace of God, the message of grace, then you're a messenger of grace. As amazing as it is to celebrate people who specialize in mission and to focus on our great partners and our great partnerships, one fear I have coming out of such a height of, uh, of, of the ministry year where we focus on, on mission and our partners around the world is that somehow we might forget that we're messengers of the same message. Because if you have been touched by the message of the grace of God, then you are a messenger of the grace of God. So how does that message express itself in your everyday? Let's consider that question. As we turn to the word of God, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Hear God's word this morning. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. May God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Leaders in the publishing industry know that if somebody's an expert, they're going to sell a book. If somebody is known and a sage in their field, they put their name on it, they can put their name bigger than the title. Sages sell books, but that doesn't mean that the rest of us don't have a message. You could be a Sherpa, for example, not just a sage, but you can be a Sherpa. The sages are like New York Times bestseller, and they know what they're talking about, and they've got all these degrees, but a Sherpa is somebody who's been to the mountaintop and has come back down and said, I know how to get up there. But you can also be a struggler. You can be a fellow struggler. This is how Michael Hyatt puts it as he coaches people to get their message out, as he helps them find their voice. That not everybody is a sage, but, but you may be a Sherpa, you may be a fellow struggler, and you have a message. Let's consider this morning, how is it that your experience with the grace of God makes you a messenger of God every day? Let's look at two ways. First of all, 
your personal history. It's part of your message. You're a messenger through your personal history. And second, you're a messenger just simply through your work, your everyday work. You're a messenger through your history and your work. First, your history. You're a messenger through your personal history. Now, some of your history is common to all of us who follow Christ. Anybody who has been touched by the grace of God has some common experience with the grace of God. And some of what you experience is unique to you. You have a unique thumbprint you put on it, like your your iPhone to open up your home screen. You've got your special little fingerprint that you're going to put on this message. And it's going to speak that common message, but in your own unique way. But first, let's look at the common, the common message that, that we all have, the common history that we share through the gospel. It says, once you were no people, now you are God's own people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Peter is alluding, throughout his letter, he's alluding to Old Testament passages. This one in particular alludes to Hosea, the prophet who was called by God to marry a woman who was unfaithful to him again and again. And through his life, he demonstrates the unconditional love of God. Through his life, he's telling the story of a God who returns to his people again and again, who calls to an unfaithful people again and again. That's, that's you, that's me. We're the ones who are being called. We're the prodigals. We're the people who've received grace upon grace. And it is the same message from culture to culture, age to age, generation to generation. We all experience those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, who've been touched by the grace of God, we all experience that sense of deep conviction, that sense of repentance and turning, and that assurance of faith, the freedom, the freedom from our own nature, from our selfish nature. So that's common. You say, well, Tim, I don't have a very dramatic story about that. I mean, you know, I grew up going to church or maybe, you know, my, my season was, was clear, and, and maybe I sort of strayed a little bit, but I, I kind of came back, but I've never done anything too dramatic, and so I don't really have a dramatic story. Well, don't, don't wish for one, all right? Don't wish for one. Somebody after the after second, first service said, uh, said, yeah, a friend of mine used to say, yeah, I'm out here in the world working on my testimony, all right? Okay, great. Don't let some dramatic testimony disqualify your personal history of the grace of God. I knew somebody who had a very dramatic story. He was a pastor in Chattanooga, and he's very public about his story. uh, I'd name him, but I I just want you to focus on what happened here. He was a, uh, a cage match fighter and a coke dealer, and he became a, a, a pastor later on in life. And I, you know, I got to know him a little bit, and, um, you know, he probably had about 100 pounds of muscle on me. He was very intimidating. But as I got to know him a little bit, um, you know, I realized he's still carrying some of that history. He's still working out some of that history. Some of the scars are still there. Yeah, he's free from it. He's turned. He's, he's released from it. But, but along with the drama comes a lot of baggage. Now, we all have some of that. But my point is in saying that don't, don't think 
that drama is a greater qualification of the grace of God in your life. That's kind of a sick thought. And in the southeastern United States, we tend to think of it that way. We think, well, that, this, and, and somebody said this about this, this, this guy in particular. said, you got to go hear this guy's story. Now, he has a testimony. I'm like, oh, he does, huh? The rest of us, I guess, not so much. I mean, no. On the contrary. If you've experienced the grace of God in your life, you're a messenger of the grace of God in your life. Think about how Sasan last week, those of you who heard Sasan Tavasoli, who was speaking about the way that the gospel of grace was setting people free in Iran. So many different ways it's setting people free. Some people were just bought into works righteousness. And he didn't say a disparaging word about Islam the entire time. He's just simply saying, look, under, under, under uh, that regime, but also under the law, Many of you know exactly what that's like. Moralism. Many of you grew up with a Christianity that was very much that way, a finger-wagging kind of Christianity. Moralism. And you're just supposed to try harder. And then the grace of God got a hold of you. And, and Sasan was telling this story of the freedom that people are experiencing. Freedom from fear. Freedom from the fear of their ultimate fate. How has that expressed itself in your life? How have you found freedom in your own life? Well, that's your story. That's your story of the grace of God. And that's your story that can work its way in to everyday conversation. Now I know it. You don't want to sound weird, and I don't either. I mean, you don't want to just kind of walk up to somebody and say, um, you know, well, I see you have three buttons on your shirt. You know, can I talk to you about the Trinity? You know, I mean, you know, just sort of some (laughs) awkward, weird segue. Or, hey, have you, uh, would you... Would you like to hear about Jesus? I mean, bring his name up. Now, Jesus is the one. He's the hinge of history. He's the pivotal figure. He's the one uh, in whom we live and move and have our being. But, but, you know, sometimes if you just sort of rush right in there where angels fear to tread, you're missing building the bridge that allows you to have a connection with that person. I mean, it's even like, I mean, Beth and I have a, a great marriage. We've been married 24 years. We love each other. We enjoy each other's company. But I'm not going to sit down and say, hey, honey, let's talk about our love. Let's gaze into each other's eyes and let's just talk about our love. Now, she might like that. I don't know. I haven't asked her. But But instead, you know, we talk about our our history, what's happened that day, what season we're in, the things we like, we dislike. We work in the ways that we care and cherish each other. We, we, we build the bridge of relationship again and again every day, and then we cross it with the feelings that we have. It's the same thing when you're talking about your, your faith. You have a story that can build a bridge. People are experiencing the very uh, depth of tragic insult that their own personal history has for themselves. They, they have tears in the fabric of their life that need to be mended. And ways that you've experienced it that you can share with them in the course of conversation can bring life to somebody around you in very compelling, winsome, and natural ways. Once you were no people, now you are God's chosen people. Chosen. Chosen. We don't like that word. But you're chosen for a particular reason, and that's the second way that you're a messenger. 
You're a messenger through your work. Not just through your personal history, but you're a messenger through your work. And your work is not just for your own benefit. Your work is for the benefit of other people, for the common good. You're chosen to be a light to the Gentiles, as it says in this here. That's not a a word we use in modern-day parlance, but it represents people who are just living apart from God. This was a scripture that was directed at the, at the Jews who were living apart from Jerusalem. They, it's called the diaspora or this great sending. Sometimes people were being sent because they were, they were just being whipped out of the territory by the powers that be, by the Romans, by the persecution. Some people were just going because of the great commission. But they were the Jewish people sent out into Asia Minor, into Turkey, And Peter is writing to those people who identified with the kingdom, the nation of Israel. And he's trying to encourage them that, look, you're chosen by God, but you're not chosen just so that you can be chosen with a big C on your chest and, you know, I've got it and you don't. No, you're chosen for a purpose, to be a light, so that when people see the way you're working even, that they will glorify God in heaven. Now, be careful now. Don't, Don't think that... That, that in working, uh, that, that through your work, your message through your work is that, that you identify with your work. I'm saying that your identity comes out through your work. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a pastor in England about 100 years ago, and he said, well, that man was born a human being, but he died a doctor, right? His point is, is that he said, look, there wasn't an identity apart from his work. Some of you all know people like this. They retire and they go into a serious decline. It's tragic because they don't have an identity outside their work. I understand. Part of of what I'm saying here, part of what, 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 what Peter is saying to these people is, do your work well. Declare his excellencies through your work. Do you, you know, like, like somebody said recently, I heard somebody say recently, if you're a Christian pilot, the first thing you want to do is land the plane, right? Land the plane. We want to develop competencies. We want to develop excellencies. That speaks. But don't so identify with your work that you have... No identity that comes through your work. That, that your Christian identity, that your experience with the grace of God, well, it needs to come through your work. For the benefit of other people, not for the benefit of yourself. And that's the point of this passage. Now, some, some years ago, somebody wanted to do a directory where it was just sort of Christian, Christians uh, knowing who the other Christian businesses are out there. Now, I've, I've seen different efforts like this, and I, I'm very suspicious of, of it when, you know, when you've got a fish on, on the business card. I mean, that, that, that may be okay, but as long as the point of the fish is to say, I'm going to do the very best job for you, I'm not just trying to attract Christians to support my business as opposed to somebody else's business. Do you see the difference? In other words, we're not, we're not identifying with the kingdom of God here as the priests of all believers for our own benefit. Who are the priests in the, in the kingdom of Israel? The Levites. And the Levites, what did they do? What was their responsibility? It was to create an environment where people could experience the presence of God. That's you. 
That's you in your place of work, around the lunch table, at school. How, through your work, are you creating an environment of competency, yes, of excellence, yes, but providing something that adds value to other people's lives. And simply as a result, bearing witness that even if people come against you, as it says here in this scripture, even, even if people disdain you because you're a believer, they look at what you're doing and how you're doing it, and they say, well, yeah, I don't like what he stands for, but I sure wish we had more of them, right? I sure, I wish, I had, I, I, I sure wish I had more neighbors like this person. They're threatening me in the way that they stand for a morality that I disdain or, 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 or they're, they're threatening me in the way that, that, they're, that they're calling me to a higher ground and they're doing it with such cheerfulness and such genuineness. Oh, that makes me sick. But, ah, what an amazing worker. What an amazing lawyer. What an amazing teacher. What an amazing neighbor. Bruce Waltke was one of my professors, an Old Testament professor, uh, very, very sought after, uh, very wise. He said this, the righteous, right? This is talking about the priesthood of all believers here, right? You are a royal priesthood. This is the idea that, that, that you're called, that everybody is called, that everyone has a message, everyone is a messenger, and that every work is dignified, every work is is a work unto the kingdom of God. Bruce Walke says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves. Disadvantage themselves. To the advantage of the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to the advantage of themselves. Years ago, I heard a, a group of businessmen had invited somebody in who was sort of a business guru, and, and they said, help us live our faith at work. And he said, well, I have one word for you. This whole conference said, I have one word for you. Do what you said you were going to do. I was in college at the time. I thought, really? That's it? That's your message? That sounds like a stick figure kind of conference. Uh, I mean, it sounds like something that, you know, it's sort of like being there where Peter Sellers plays this gardener and everybody thinks he's wise, but he's actually really just talking about gardening. You know, he's just, do what you said you're going to do. That's how you live your faith at work. Well, imagine Monday morning, tomorrow. How would that distinguish you from so many other people? Wouldn't it distinguish you from many, many other people? Just to follow through, just to be a person of integrity? Now, I understand the difficulty of this. I understand what a threat that living your faith at work can be. I understand. Even though I I work in a, a place where, you know, people are a little bit, they smile on me talking about my faith. You know, I mean, they kind of expect it a little bit at my work. And you think, well, Tim, you can't understand what it's like out there. Where, well, don't, not so fast. You know, the, the, human nature expresses itself through the church, too. It's the same gene pool here on our staff. And sometimes I'm the problem, right? I'm somewhere between zero and 100%. And sometimes I'm not, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I'm selfish, self-centered. We hurt each other, you know, just waking up and going through our day. It's tough sometimes. 
following through and doing what, because you don't always feel like you're going to get where you want to go, right? I understand the difficulty of that. In fact, there was a season of my life between when I was in Texas and Chattanooga, we had a short stint at a very large church that was in sort of a free fall. It was a very unhealthy place, very unhealthy place. And, uh, and Beth and I said, my, my, we are not in Kansas anymore. I was the 11th pastor on staff, and it was, it was a mess. And human nature was not being checked. And I said, well, what do we do in this environment? Really, really I tried to leave within a few months. I was looking to, just because it was just so, it was terrible. I, I had somebody who had been in, in uh, managing a chain of hospitals uh, for 35 years, she said, this is the hardest thing I've ever been through in 35 years of corporate life at our church. So I've been through some of this before, and I, I'm still drawing on the lessons of those two and a half years of pain. And you know what? We, Beth and I had a little mantra. I started to say, well, we need to just sort of go after ministry and not power, because everybody is sort of about power right now. They just, everybody's trying to get power. We need to go for ministry. And then, and then I, said, I, I said to myself, you know, I need to create healthy space. I just need some healthy space in, in this, all this toxic landscape here. Where, where's the healthy space? And then I thought, you know, I, need to, I just need to respond well. That's what I need to do. I just need to respond well when, when I'm faced with, with human nature, with the dark side of human nature. And you know what I realized? I had it in the reverse order. When I responded well, I created all kinds of space for ministry. It just, just finds you. When you respond well, you create that healthy space. Ministry will find you at work, even in the midst of difficulty. This is, this is the context in which the people of the diaspora were living their lives among the Gentiles in a culture that, that considered their faith to be a real threat or an inconvenience, or an embarrassment. And Peter was saying, you just keep going. Just do good work. Do it to the glory of God. Do what you said you're gonna do. Follow through. And let your history, your own personal history, find openings of genuine, winsome expression. And you will help people find the very freedom from the grace of God that you've experienced yourself. You're a messenger. You're a messenger tomorrow morning. Let's pray together. Father, we believe. We ask that you help our unbelief. Bring heaven to meet earth in this meal. Apply the accomplished grace of your gospel to our hearts as we receive it by faith. In Jesus' name.